1: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes
0: and fees may vary.
1: Helping you unwind after a long day of work. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550.
0: Hello, everybody. Corey Griswold here with you. Uh, Joe DiBiase is on special assignment I'll be here with you uh, 7-8pm to Tonight taking you up until ESPN Radio Howard Simon, Jeremy White Of course uh, will be with you tomorrow Morning as is per usual On this station Uh, Hall of Fame game tonight, Uh, Bill's preseason starts Next week, we've got a whole bunch of fun stuff uh, Coming uh, up for you in the next Coming days here at WGR Sports Radio 550, if you missed it, John Clayton uh, Paul Hamilton, uh, Sal Capaccio All available for you on our Odyssey app for you to listen to back and listen to all the good stuff that was there. Joining me now on the Western Hotline is a, a friend of mine and a, uh, I'm trying to st- figure out, Bill, how I want to introduce you. Bill DiFilippo from Uproxx here. Should we label you like Central Pennsylvania Bureau Chief or should we call you like Family Style Bureau Chief? How should What what should we do here? Uh, 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 Bomb Vivant, like I don't know.
1: Whatever, whatever you want to uh, refer to me as, Corey. I, I'm, I'm I'm just happy to be here speaking about Ashgillian booty with you.
0: That's correct. We're talking about all your favorite bills uh, from the drought drought era. <laughs> we have uh, Chris Kelsey. Um, uh, we've got uh, any anybody you could absolutely want. Paul Puzlusny, if you're looking for uh, uh, Penn State greatness, um, and and, and uh, absolutely ticking the boxes of. Uh, ethnic identity politics, too. So the, th- the thing about um, college football now, and the, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you in here because there's, uh, there's some college football news before the season gets started, but also some, like long-distance college football stuff that might even affect the Buffalo Bills coming up. And these two kind of stories have kind of simultaneously popped up in these past few days. But first, I wanted to start with college football proper. So Texas and Oklahoma apparently uh, voted as universities to leave the Big 12 at the conclusion of their TV deal in a couple of years. Do I have that right, Bill?
1: Uh. It is something like that, uh, either a TV deal or, like, a league charter or something to that extent.
0: Okay, so there's technical stuff to talk about, which is, like, which team goes where. And this is where almost all of the conversation has been, this kind of, like, you know, Bill Simmons redraftables of, like, which team do you want to play in which conference. But there's also this added layer on top of, like, how can this possibly be sustainable as a system going forward when you constantly have these leagues kind of contracting and contracting and contracting until you just have all of the concentration of capital in one small space? We'll start with the tactical, and then we'll move up to the larger picture. So why are teams doing this specifically? What What is it about realignment that is appealing to, to universities like texas and oklahoma how do they benefit well
1: let's take a step back uh let's take a step back and start by looking at the sport that i have always viewed as most similar to college football which is soccer in europe it's like that because it's a very regional sport uh, in terms of there are leagues in various different places. The season uh, culminates with one big, uh, well, not one big tournament, the tournament is throughout the season, but with one big game and one big centralized uh, location. Uh, the way fandom works, the way all those things come together, I think that those similarities are pretty strong, and earlier this year, one thing that we saw was a collection of the biggest clubs in Europe. Not all of them. Uh, Bayern Munich in Germany, PSG in France decided they didn't want to be part of it, but they decided we want to get more of the pot. We want to be in control of the money that comes in. We want a bigger cut of everything. So they tried starting this thing called the Super League, and the Super League is one I, – I don't say this lightly. It's one of the worst ideas that anyone's ever had <laughs> because the way, that it, the way it blew up in their faces delegitimized a lot of the ownership groups of these various clubs uh, in terms of just, you know, their intentions, how they – Present themselves to fans, all these sorts of things, and it just made them all look like clowns. Buddy, we're gonna get
0: to we're gonna get to the Bills Stadium negotiations in a little bit, so don't spoil it for us. That's coming up
1: shortly. But I say all that to say this: what was at the core of that was there was a belief that the most important thing in the eyes of these owners was uh, of these ownership groups, individual, whatever you want to say, was we want to get as much money as possible, and a lot of fans at these clubs many of which have been around for, you know, 100-plus years, said, no, what is more important is that we are part of a social fabric. We signed up for this sporting social contract that we do not want to break. And there was backlash about that. Clubs are still doing damage control, all all these sorts of things. I say that to say this. In college football, there is a belief at a lot of these major universities among their fan bases that – there's not necessarily a social contract. Like there are certainly uh, fans who believe they are part of the Big 12, part of this, part of that. But at the end of the day, and I, this is just kind of how we as Americans tend to think about sports, the ultimate goal is to win the championship. We want to be the national champion in this, that, or the other. So while there is, you know, winning the Premier League is like winning uh, the Big 10, winning... Uh, The Bundesliga is like winning the SEC, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, all of these college football teams want to win Champions League or the national championship. And I say that because when you look at a school like Texas, you look at a school like Oklahoma, there's a belief in college football that this is one big arms race. That we are all trying to make sure we are going to be able to go into every season guns a-blazing, We're going to be able to go into every season with better resources, better coaches, better players, blah, 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 and all that comes back to money. So just kind of in the macro, that's why I think this is happening. It's because all of these schools, all of these fan bases, all of these uh, programs say we need as much money as we possibly can to put ourselves in a position to win a national championship. So with a school like Texas, with a school like Oklahoma, they see a $3 billion television deal between the SEC and ESPN in 2024 ago, my goodness, I want to get in on that.
0: Yeah, you know, now that you mention it, it makes it, the way that you're describing this, makes it almost feel as if the playoff system in college football makes this worse. Because it keeps building in this idea of the point is to make the playoffs so that you can make the championship. The point isn't to win your league anymore, and then you get to go to a bowl game, and maybe you're not playing to be in the championship game, you're just going to win your, you know, you're going to win your conference and then maybe you're going to win the bowl, whatever bowl game you're into, whether it's the sugar bowl or the orange bowl or what have you. And that emphasis on like, no, it is to win a championship. That's it kind of eliminates the possibility of having any kind of sense of being satisfied in a performance that doesn't result in just winning Mm -hmm. but not being the best all the time and i mean the atmosphere of college football i mean you know just huge just amounts of money being thrown around at people under the table because you can't pay the athletes um so you there's just this culture of like whatever it takes to get the guys on the team and whatever it takes to get it done Mm -hmm. like there's just like underlying sense of like we're all committing crimes here, so what's the point? Like, how how can you be loyal, like, to some kind of culture, in a culture honestly that just absolutely embraces criminality, you know, borderline, you know, criminal, not like actually breaking laws, but like criminality right, to a certain right. extent. You know what I mean? Um, to that kind of like sleaziness, simply because the NCAA says you can't, you have people generating money for you, but you can't pay them. Like, college football has boxed them into this kind of result. Like, it makes sense that this would be where it goes, right? Like, just due to how the whole thing is structured. Right. And, and again, the culture that we as Americans have of championship
1: or nothing is ultimately what I think drives all of this. Every single ounce of it. Like, (laughs) there is this sense that... And this is something I actually really do appreciate about various soccer leagues. Like we'll take a club like, you know, you're a Liverpool fan. We'll talk about Liverpool. If Liverpool doesn't win the premier league, but they are able to take
0: X, Y, Z, really positive things from the season. Everyone's overjoyed. Yeah. If if they finish top four and make the champions league, like that's cool. Look, we did it. Exactly. But if
1: you are, uh, you know, if, if you're a school like, you know, we're not, we want to go to the Alabama tier, the Ohio State if tier. If you're Oregon of,
0: we'll or go something. To
1: the, right, right. We go to those tiers. If, like, James Franklin at Penn State has a 7-5 and five season this year with a first-year offensive coordinator, with, like, you know, coming off of the struggles of last season, like, people are going to be calling for his job. There are people calling for James Franklin's job last year because, There is not a belief that he is the guy to get Penn State to a national championship. There have been people at Auburn who eventually won out calling for Gus Malzahn's job for years because he wasn't the guy to get Auburn to a national championship. There was Tom Herman at Texas, really good example. He wasn't the guy to get Texas to a national championship. So when it's just so rotten to its core where you either get us to a point where you can win a national championship or – sorry, you're just not the guy to do it. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Of course people – of course conferences are going – or not conferences, programs are going to say, listen, we can get X money from here or we can get X-plus money from here. That money helps us theoretically get closer to the national championship. Of course we're going to end up taking that because the coach loses his job. The assistant coaches loses his job. The staffers lose their job. The AD could lose his job. All if the team doesn't win a national championship – so this is like there have been people who for years have said, I hate the professionalization of college sports. In recent years, in recent weeks, especially with the NIL laws, I hate the professionalization of college sports. College sports have been going pro for 20, 30 years yeah. with TV contracts, with uh, the aforementioned standards of win a championship or you're losing your job. Like we are just at a logical, I don't want to say end point, but inflection point for where we have been going for however long.
0: Yeah, I mean, if colleges just had pro teams and just, like, signed on guys to play football for them and there, was, there wasn't there was a draft, they just signed contracts and they just moved around, like, you know, like almost like it is in Europe. Like, it's a little bit different in Europe, but just, like, you just had to go and sign guys and they just played for your team. It's just, like, they're not athletes. We just have a team and we we sponsor them and they're our guys and they just play for us. They're not really, like, a college team. They're just here and they play and they gener- generate revenue for us and we pay them. Like, how like would people freak out that that was any different like recruiting is a huge part of college football like people get into the recruiting aspect of it the high school to college pop pipeline of like where these athletes are coming from but like if it wasn't about recruitment and it was about like we signed this five star recruit out of Florida because we paid him the best contract and he signed it like would that like i think people from these teams like yes it would be monetized but at least it would be on the on the level like, it wouldn't be as as crooked as it, as it might seem, or at least unbalanced as it might seem going forward. Like, you would just have all of this stuff, Let it would just be laid out for everybody. You'd still have superpower teams, of course, just like there are in Europe, but at least maybe, like, there'd be some semblance. I don't know, maybe there isn't a way out of this. I don't know. Well, I think then the question becomes, should
1: there be a pursuit of any sort of way out of this or should it just be something like, you know, what we've seen with recent name image and likeness laws are rulings that are handed down where like, yeah, if the, if the system is so rotten to the core, we might as well make it advantageous for the players to uh, be part of it. Like that further incentivization of it. Cause like, yeah, you could be a five-star, you can go to Alabama, you can win national championships, blah, 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 blah. If you leave Alabama with your ACLs ground to dust and both of your rotator cups needing to be recovered, like, that, that's a problem. But it seems like there is, in recent in recent years, definitely, but of course in recent weeks, like, something of an effort to finally make it so athletes are getting a cut. That's the, even the thing. Like, they're not necessarily getting a cut of it. Like... I don't think that like the burger, you know, I don't know if this is an exact thing, like the burger shop that pays Wisconsin's something or other to come sign some autographs was exactly like a big booster for the program. You know what I mean? Right. So like, there, like there's fi- finally we're at a point where like after so many years of this being a pro sport, save for pockets being lined for the athletes in a way that is fair, <laughs> that's finally happening. So like, it's in an adapter left behind mode, and
0: we were always heading to this point. It's it's really hard to deconstruct these systems once they're created, because like right. you know the FA in in you know in England and just basically European soccer, this is a structure that's existed for you know a hundred years over there, right? It's mm-hmm. like baseball here in the United States where you have it's professional leagues up and down to like a single A and, you know, up to the majors, which of course, major league baseball is attempting to destroy at this point. But like, yeah, it's a, it was kind of a similar setup in that regard with how these leagues were created and how they looked. And it's not an it's not an accident. They grew up around the same time with, you know, different, you know, cultural roots around very similar sports in different places. But like, College football was not that. It was built on amateurism. It was built on the schools doing this. And pro league football never really got a start until the 40s and 50s where it could survive. And even then it wasn't until the 70s where it really started to get stable and take off. So uh-huh. we live in this age now where it seems almost implausible that we could view like minor league football surviving In a system like European soccer or like Major League Baseball, where it's almost like it develops itself, you have teams that are almost built to be like football that's kind of bad, but players show their talent, and then maybe they get signed to a contract at a better team going up. Maybe, and Uh it's, I mean, part of that is because of the physical nature of the sport and how quickly guys get worn out and blown out from playing that, you know, the, uh, the abuse of the game. But, like, right. and, you know, also how complicated and how large it is and how expensive it is and how big of a space you need to play that sport. But, like, man, like, it would be a much more efficient system if we just didn't have college football, honestly, if it just didn't exist. Right, but,
1: right. but at the same time, like... Can you fathom they not being college, just like generally? Can you fathom they not being college football? Help again, just big of a cultural institution no, it is. I can't. Not not even in right. Not even in America, but in like these very like me as someone who went to Penn State, like my. my my university is probably about the size of a community college if it's not for college football, which is like part of the problem. Like there's a, there's certainly a too big to fail element of college football and so many things are hooked to how good the football program is and how much revenue the football, pro- like if you shut down a, a football program at basically any major university that doesn't just mean the football program shut down that means you are basically running your entire revenue stream in your university off of what your basketball team can bring in and that's it and when you're going from nine figures from your football eight or nine figures from your football team to whatever the basketball team is like you have three
0: sports at your school i mean it's point. it's it's such a hard thing because you need such an investment in your college football team to get it to the point where it's generating revenue for you reliably and like I know this because I went to the university at Buffalo here and I mean it took forever for that program to figure itself out and they they did an incredible amount of hard work and investing and money at, to get that program up to a level of a D1 college program that isn't a joke and like they're in the MAC mm-hmm. conference and they're competitive in the MAC conference now they're not like a world beater they've been ranked a couple of times and that was an achievement Oh, yeah. for that football program but think of like the capital investment it took to get UB football to that point like exactly. it's a huge project to for a university to invest in so they're just not going to disassemble that overnight and once you get it up and running and it's generating money like no way like you're just not disassembling right. the money maker that way and then and you're talking about UB and that's a really good
1: example of just one school, but then take a step back and then think of the 14 schools that are in the Big Ten. They lose their football program. The amount of money that comes into the Big Ten from TV contracts is just stupid. Like, like you know, it was mentioned a little bit earlier. The SEC is, uh, in 2025, getting a fancy $3 billion television deal from ESPN. So if you then also take that money away, like – what is your school at that? What is academia at that point? Like, it, it's a fun and an interesting thing to th- think about because just of how big of a shit that would be. But at the same time, it's also a terrifying thing to think about because like, you know, I, I, I like higher education. I think it's a good thing. Right. <laughs> um <laughs> But it would also just, like, be turbo-nuked if you did anything right. like
0: that. <laughs> we also don't, like, properly fund these institutions in the first place in these con- in this country. So these schools feel like they're tied to the wheel, so to speak, right? Like, they, they we don't have a choice because if we lose this team, we lose our funding, and we lose these any of these programs, like, they don't exist. Like, all, all of these mm-hmm. college football games, they all have advertising saying, no, please, we're trying to have a medical department. Like, come and... To this school, where like, look, we have microscopes now. Like, it's great. You should come to this school, not just to watch football. Mm -hmm. Like, they all have ads that say this. And the reason that they have those ads on their football programming is because the states and the federal government don't give them funding to do this. Like, (laughs) it's not coming from us. So, like, what is the school supposed to do? Like, if the school could say, like, all of our academic needs are satisfied because it's all funded by taxpayers – So because of our public funding, we no longer have to charge outrageous tuition to our students, and we don't feel like we absolutely have to go all out for this football program because it's not necessary for us to have a good school to have this football program. I would guarantee you every single SEC school thinks to themselves, we lose this football program, we are just not a school at all. Exactly. Exactly. I mean,
1: when you're already charging, like, you know... Out of state students, what three? You know, you're charging in state students ten grand a year or ten grand a semester, and you're charging out of state students thirty grand a semester. Well, imagine if all of a sudden, like billions of dollars is suddenly cut off from your university. How much worse that? Like just the domino effect. Like I never fully like thought of this. So I, I'm but that, that is one of several reasons I am glad that I'm speaking to my friend Corey this evening. But hey. like it's actually a it's actually a very interesting thing. I wonder if there's ever been like a big study or a book written or anything like that. on just like, okay, let's, let's hypothetically say a really, really good example of this. Uh, again, to go back to my alma mater earlier this year, uh, there was a vote from Penn state's board of trustees uh, to potentially approve $48.3 million worth of funding to its football building. And one of the votes against it was Jay Paterno. You've probably heard of his dad and his exact quote was my former boss used to say, football is here to serve the university, not the other way around. Football is a part of life, not life, not part itself. Now, if you think about that, like that's not necessarily wrong, but also at any major university, if you decide you are going to hamstring your football program right now, you are basically asking for your football program to be destroyed, your athletic department to be destroyed, and your university to more or less be thrown into a general state of upheaval. So, like, this is just what we live in right now, and I don't know if there is any sort of, like, reasonable way that the toothpaste could be shoved back into the
0: tube. Yeah, I mean, it's not just college football that's going through this, like, hyper-centralization of having to compete, right? Like, industries are consolidating Across the board, it feels like um, you need to be—you need to merge, you need to acquire in order to become even remotely competitive with anybody else that's in the same industry as you. Um, it's becoming harder for smaller companies to compete against larger ones. Like Amazon is essentially destroyed, um, you know. Uh, t- all sorts of businesses up and down the supply chain because they have the the power and market share to do so. And that's kind of set the model for all all sets of other things. And basically, that's what's happening in college football. Like, you're just having these teams feel like we can't stop. If we stop, like, we're going to get run over. Like it, this isn't something where we can just say, "Okay, we're satisfied here." Because if we say that, every other team around us is going to outcompete us, and then we're just going to crumble. You get set up in this, uh, literally, what an arms race is, where you feel like you have to keep building and acquiring, otherwise you'll be destroyed. And every single arms race ends the same way, <laughs> which is badly.
1: And it also ends. You know, you use the Amazon example. It also ends with. Things being so hyper-centralized that, like, you have Amazon, but all of a sudden you lose how many stores just in your community. If you're making it so – I mean, this is the big thing with the Super League. Yeah, if all the money is going to – you know, in the Premier League, if all the money is going to Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, Tottenham, and Chelsea, like – yeah, there are going to be other teams there. They're also going to be in financial ruin. In college football, if you make it so all the power is consolidated to uh, you know, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Clemson, Ohio State, Penn State, Oregon, USA, blah, 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 blah. Like, there are, I think, like 131 teams in college football. And if you make it so 10 to – well, I mean, even right now, it – there are four or five that actually like matter because we define matter as competing for a national championship. If you make it right now, so there are only 10, 12 schools that are getting real money. That's where the arms race really becomes devastating because then you're destroying the college football programs in these various communities and that's where it becomes really scary.
0: Yeah. Bill Filippo from Upper Rock's joining us here on the Nightcap. Uh, I'm Corey Griswold. Bill, do you feel like hanging on through the break and talking a little longer into the next segment? Let's do it. Look at this guy. This is great. Great radio, everybody. Uh, stick around, Bill. Uh, I'm Corey Griswold, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening. It's the Nightcap on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Roy Griswold here with you on WGR Sports Radio 550, joined by Uproxx's Bill DiFlippo on the line to talk a little bit of the college football, the last segment. This segment, we're going to slightly shift our perspective to uh, more relevant Western New York topics. Uh, Bill, thanks for hanging out for another segment, by the way. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, not, not a problem, my guy. I always. Uh, what, I, I, I did mention this, but I am actually glad to be... Uh, when was the last time we hung out? It was a few months ago, so I'm I'm very glad that I'm able to uh, spend some more time speaking to uh, my friend Corey.
0: So, Bill, you are a Penn State honk, I believe is the proper term to describe uh, you, an al- uh, an alumni of the university, uh big uh, Happy Valley kind of guy. So, or that's what it's called, right? Happy Valley. Do I have that right? Uh, it is called
1: State College. Uh, well, the town is called State College, but Happy Valley is the name of like the region. Yes, that is correct.
0: Okay, so we love uh, Altoona. We love taking uh, the Interstate ninety nine down Central PA way. Um, uh, big fan. Shout out to the all your favorite uh, rest stops and small towns where you can stop in and get a stop at your local A and W uh, for a little respite as you're getting it on your way into the Mid Atlantic states. Uh, Shemokin. You know your your Tyrone's. We love we love to hear from you on the program if you're there and listening. So listen, it, 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 if I may interrupt, if anyone listening to this is in Shemokin, can you just let me know? Like I, I want to know who you are.
1: Like I, I went to high school in Danville, Pennsylvania, so I I'm very aware of Shemokin from various like football games. Yep. Just let me know. Like re- re- reach out on a any social media platform. Like get in touch with Corey directly. He- he'll direct you to me. But I just want to. I just
0: want to talk to you. Fruseberg, taking your calls. Um, if you uh, give at, at Corey Griswold at Bill DeFilippo if you want, uh, let us know if you are t- t- listening to Buffalo Sports Radio because everything has gone wrong. So, uh, <laughs> Bill, there's been uh, talk up here in the Western New York region and in the greater Albany area where the seat of power rests in New York state about the Buffalo bills and their negotiations over a new stadium. That isn't quite necessary, honestly. Um, and, uh, the talk was, uh, mostly centered on how, uh, Pagula sports and entertainment was interested in, uh, perhaps complete and 100%. um, public financing of whatever new stadium the buffalo bills would have and that wasn't necessarily denied by anybody involved in the process which means it's true so speaking on that all of the designs of whatever stadium that there could be there was speculation that maybe they were looking to place a stadium in downtown buffalo but it appears that the study that was completed uh, by the team and its ownership said that no the best site to build a stadium would be on the site it is now right in the middle of beautiful orchard park new york the problem is is that building a new stadium there bill would require uh the destruction of the current stadium that is there one high mark stadium formerly new era fields formerly ralph wilson stadium formerly rich stadium so uh they would uh blow up that hole and and put a new another stadium in its place seemingly rectifying all of the ills that that old stadium has uh, however if you do that you don't there's nowhere to play football. so it had been floated not from official sources really but just kind of like put out there like hey the pakulas are kind of tight with Penn State. So Bill I will ask you we'll start with this how plausible is it for an NFL team to play in Penn State? while Penn State is playing in Penn State?
1: No. (laughs) So, here's the funny thing about this. Like, there has been talk... The event that has been talked about in Happy Valley for God knows how long when you're not doing football season is having a winter classic at Beaver Stadium between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, God. They would... Like, uh, objectively, incredibly cool idea. Like, you know, I'm not the biggest hockey guy, but whenever I see, when when I think I, what was the first, that first winter classic at Michigan Stadium? It was the Red Wings and somebody. was the Blackhawks. Okay. Yeah, Blackhawks and Red Wings, then? Yeah, Yeah, sure. Just like the coolest visual. Like, it is so cool seeing that. And Pennsylvania, um, the old James Carville line of, Pittsburgh on one side, Philadelphia on the other, and Alabama in the middle. Like, There's warrant to that, but there really is a Pittsburgh side of the state and a Philadelphia side of the state. And if you were able to put a Winter Classic in Beaver Stadium with those two teams specifically, and you were just able to put on this gigantic event, it would be one of the coolest things that has happened in Happy Valley. The issue has always been that – a lot of the piping in the stadium, a lot of just those sorts of things are not winterized. What does that mean? Well, it means that once it gets really cold, the potential for calamity just goes through the roof. <laughs> I, think you, I think you now see where I am getting So we're
0: getting bit. into an Oakland Athletics situation a little bit.
1: <laughs> right. So, like, the thought of, you know, if Terry wants to... To cut a big old check and say, "All right, all weatherize the stadium, um, <laughs> be able like if you want to do that stuff, I am sure like everyone in Happy Valley would like flash were... Shane McMahon's entrance theme okay. and just
0: have the best <laughs> time on earth." I'm laughing but, like, because they would blow up the stadium here just so they could play at a stadium. They'd have to renovate anyway. <laughs>
1: Well, well part, part of it is that Penn State does want to do, like, a big stadium renovation. This has been a thing for a while that just, you know, hasn't been able to do that. I don't know if you've heard about this recently. There was a pandemic and a lot of money went kaboom. What? But, there... <laughs> but like, that, get, getting back to how this impacts the Bills, the thought of an NFL, like, one of the charms of Happy Valley is that it is, like, a college. It, it is what you imagine when there's a college town. I have no idea where in God's green earth you would be able to put an entire football team, especially when there is one football facility, and that is where the college team practices. Like, it it just – it doesn't seem like a thing that makes any amount of sense. And that's not even considering the fact that, like, yes, Bill fans travel. It is a reason why I love y'all. I have no idea how many Bill fans would be willing to go – we will make it financially worth it by buying tickets and driving to State College Pennsylvania, especially because one big thing at State College Pennsylvania is taking the week after a football game to kind of just get things all revved up for the week before the next football game. So like maybe there's this scenario where they're able to like put the entire team in one of the places nearby. They're able to find a good space for them to be able to practice and work out. They're able to get the stadium all set up. James Franklin would be cool with another football team being around, which, listen, I, I'm a big James Franklin guy. I, he's uh, a very, like all good college football coach, he's a very well-documented control freak. I cannot fathom. He would be cool with anyone who is associated with another football team coming in and using all of his facilities, especially if it's someone who, like, you know, Micah Hyde played at Iowa and is then spending time around the Penn State football program. the week So it, it just, there's just a million reasons why it doesn't make sense, even if
0: I would really like it if the Bills came and played. Bad. That would be so cool. Right, like, it's, it's the kind of thing where it seems like this is a cool idea for a preseason game. This is right. not a cool idea to do permanently. <laughs> like, there's just so many well, things that they, don't work.
1: They do that with hockey games. Like, there is very free I, I mean... Uh, Terry Pagula cut Penn State a big old check, and now, I mean, you could ask any of our friends who have been there, like Pagula Ice Arena is just an absolute, it, it's a marvel of a hockey venue. I think it sees something like six, 7,000 people or something like that. And preseason games, I think the Sabres have been down there a couple yep. of times, the Penguins have come. Like, there have been pro-sporting events in Happy, I mean, the Washington Wizards, when Michael Jordan was on the team, played a preseason game at our garbage basketball venue. So, like, They've done these sorts of things before. I, it's just over a 16-week NFL. I mean, maybe, I mean, there's no chance they would do this, but it would be really cool if the Bills just, like, did the thing where they spent four weeks in, at Happy Valley and then four weeks at, like, Syracuse and then four weeks somewhere. Just, like, a traveling NFL team, but also that's a terrible idea.
0: I'm trying to think of, like, what other stadiums need renovations that the Bills could then visit to renovate. Because it seems like that's what's ending <laughs> up happening here, right? Like, the, they have to run, it, they have to blow up their own stadium or fix it, and then they're going to go to Penn State and be, I actually, you know, you don't want to play in this thing past November because it's, you know, ugh, not so good. So who else? Who else needs help here? Who Anybody else want to get nice? Because they'll come and they'll beg your governor to pay for all of it. Like, maybe this is something that we can work out here to help all the other universities. Speaking of rackets...
1: Right. The, the, the bills just like coming in with a big bag of money, like just real cartoonish where like Sean McDermott is dressed up like Daniel day Lewis and there will be blood. And he has like (laughs) a big thing of money and he's just dropping it on administrative table. Like that would be really funny.
0: LA doesn't even want to pay for the Olympics. Right. Right. Like like, and this is basically what the bills are doing. We'll come and play for your town, but it's going to take a lot of infrastructure. And it's like, what? No, we're not. No, we don't even exactly stupid. We're not doing this. So, anyway, exactly. this is fantastic. It's good to know that everything has been so well thought out in this process. It, it makes me feel it, better.
1: It, well, that's the entire thing. Like, it's a really cool idea. Is it a, there, but there's a huge difference between, like, a cool idea and a plausible idea. And this is a really good example of that.
0: Bill, before we go, I wanted to ask you about the U.S. Men's National Team a little bit here. Um, Let's go. Winners of the Gold Cup. Um, winners of CONCACAF as well, I believe? Uh, the uh, Nations League, which is a big old
1: money grab that they won. But God, it, it God bless also, them. It's the thing that they won. Well, Bill, I mean, every, every, everything in soccer is a money grab. Neither Bill. you nor there.
0: Go ahead. What's the state of affairs with uh, the national team for men's soccer in the United States?
1: So the thing that I would say about them is they seem like they are a bit ahead of schedule. Like the joke that uh, we make with our friends is that they're going to win the World Cup, all that sort of thing. Any belief of what the Americans could possibly do revolved around the 2026 World Cup. Like, maybe they were able to use this World Cup as a chance to, like, impress and show where the program is. You know, maybe they make it to the quarterfinals, run into, you know, run to Spain, get knocked out, that sort of thing. What they have are showing is that they are a little bit ahead of schedule. Like, I don't know if they're far enough ahead of schedule to, like, be anywhere near uh, one of the top teams uh, in Qatar next year. But Mexico is the bar and has been the bar in this region for decades. And what the United States has done is at the Nations League, they had their AP. They had the, gu- the guys who were playing in Europe, uh, the guys who were playing in Champions League, Those, that level of dude and while they did not, you know, it wasn't like the Manchester City, we have 80% of the ball, we run out the park that kind of thing. But they were able to beat Mexico there. Then a couple of months later, they didn't have their A team. They had mostly their B and C team against Mexico, who brought their A team to this tournament. There are a couple of guys uh, that were at the Olympics. There are a couple of guys that didn't make it. Possibly their best player, Chucky Lozano got hurt in their first game, but it was largely Mexico's A-team and mostly I think it was seven or eight of the dudes who started that Nations League final and the United States beat them again. So what we're seeing right now is the U.S. doing something that I I almost felt like they wanted to skip a step after the 2014 World Cup and go – okay, we had a really good World Cup, but now the thing for us is we want to show we are better than Germany. We are better than, or we're on the tier of Germany, of uh, Brazil, those sorts of countries. It's like, no, take care of business in your backyard and then shoot for that stuff. And right now it feels like the United States has made it a point to say, we are going to show that we're the big dogs in Concacaf. We are better than Mexico. We are better than Jamaica. We are better than Canada. We are better than Costa Rica. All these c- countries, and they have done that so far. The big test is coming up. That is World Cup qualifying. They should, like, they're in an exponentially better position than they were in 2008, heading into the 2018 World Cup. They should either win or finish second in World Cup qualifying, but that's the state of affairs, man. It's, there's, like, optimism around the team. You know, I talk about this with our pal Russ all the time. The, a young man for uh, Sporting Kansas City, named Gianluca Busio was just sold to uh, Venezia in Italy, which just got promoted to the first uh, tier in Italian soccer. Normal circumstances, that is like the biggest news on earth, and that's like a drop in the bucket. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this
0: up because this is going to be my next question to you. So this is a perfect segue. Is that uh, somewhere along the line in monitoring the conversations amongst all of our friends about this team is someone brought up the metric of how many of these guys on this team and in this program already have... Like, they have played games at high professional levels already. Like, a lot of the dudes on the team, even though they're young, they're very experienced for exactly. their age compared to other American squads.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you look through uh, the starting 11 for that Nations League final, and I'm going to be going off of the top of my head, so I apologize. This is oh, this is the kind
0: of radio we love.
1: This is it. Keeper, Keeper is the backup of Manchester City. The... Fullbacks: one is in Portugal, one is at Barcelona. The center backs: one is in Belgium, one uh, is at a good German side in Wolfsburg. Midfield was an MLS player, and then one guy at RB Leipzig, one guy at Juventus, and then the attacking trio was uh, Werder Bremen up top, and then Borussia Dorman and Chelsea on the wings. That is, like the caliber of clubs, the caliber of competition these guys are going up against every single week, like. Giovanni Reina, uh, one of the wingers who is 18 years old, very promising youngster, is going up against maybe the best young player on earth in practice every week, then going out into the Bundesliga and getting thrown around and holding his own in the top league on earth. In in the second – well, I would say the second best league on earth. Christian Pulisic, the other winger, he's been a professional since he was 17 years old. I think he's 21 or 22 now he was really good for Dortmund. He's been in the Premier League. Uh, he won the Champions League this year. Chelsea's going to be a really good competitor for the Premier League Championship this year. Weston McKenney at Juventus in Italy every single week, going up against some of the best players on earth. Like all, like It's just so much talent. There is, and kind of going back to what I said about the Gold Cup, the thing that makes it so exciting is that, yeah, those are the big guns. Those are the guys that are going to be called in for the big tournaments. Every single big tournament from now until 2032, 2036, something like that, until a new crop of youngsters come in and those guys age out. But then the thing that makes it so cool was the guys in the Gold Cup, basically all MLS players, and they took it to a collection of Mexico players that are as good as Mexico had. They are the best in a lot of places that Mexico has. So it's a testament to how far this program has come. It's a testament to how far kind of the general broad player pool has come. It's a testament to how far major league soccer has come. That Now the U.S. is in a position where, you know, in 2022, if they end up making that World Cup, if they are a quarterfinalist who pushes and has a shout at the semifinals – It'd be a bit surprising if they got to the semifinals. But things are setting up really nicely. So in 2026, when the World Cup is in the United – it's a trio bit of the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Most of it is in the United States. Like, they're going to be real good, man. They're go- like, I think in the next FIFA ratings, which should come out next week, they're expected to be in the top ten or right on the outside. This is a – this isn't a good for an American national team. This is a good national team, and that's just something the U.S. hasn't really had in quite some
0: time. Bill Deepalipo from Uprocks. Bill, thanks for joining me on the program today. This was really good stuff. I had a lot of fun. I, I
1: promise you that however much fun you had, I had more,
0: buddy. Thanks uh, for having that's me That's so sweet of you to say. Bill joining us on the line, Bill DiPofilippo of Uproxx. You can find him there. Uh, a lot of writing and a lot of good stuff about all sorts of things uh, in pop culture and sports uh, for your viewing pleasure. Uh, we'll wrap it up here on a quick segment. Coming up next, I'm Corey Griswold. It's the Nightcap on WGR.
1: Plus notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.